I get two passages today. The, the first one is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. These are the commands, rules, and laws that the Lord your God told me to teach to you in the land you are crossing the Jordan River to take. You, your children, and, and your grandchildren must respect the Lord your God as long as you live. Obey all his rules and commands I give you so that you will live a long time. Listen, Israel, and carefully obey these laws. Then all will go well for you, and you will become a great nation in a fertile land, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Listen, people of Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your strength. Always remember these commands I give you today. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. Write them down and tie them to your hands as a sign. Tie them on your forehead to remind you. Write them on your doors and your gates. Second passage is from Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28, uh, and I'm reading from the New Century Version, uh, if you want to follow along with that. One of the teachers of the law came and heard Jesus arguing with the Sadducees. Seeing that Jesus gave good answers to their questions, he asked Jesus, which of the commands is most important? Uh, Jesus answered, the most important command is this. Listen, people of Israel, love the Lord our God. Sorry. Listen, people of Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second command is this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There are no commands more important than these. The man answered, that was a good answer, teacher. You were right when you said, God is the only Lord, and there is no other God besides him. One must love God with all his heart, all his mind, and all his strength. And one must love his neighbor as himself. These commands are more important than all the animals and sacrifices we offer to God. When Jesus saw that the man answered him wisely, Jesus said to him, You are close to the kingdom of God. After that, no one was brave enough to ask Jesus any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Imago. Uh, my name is Brian, and uh, we've been talking this whole month about how we find our way back when things are crazy, <laughs> and how we uh, ground ourselves when things are hard. Now, I was doing super good. I practiced my message a lot so I wouldn't get worked up, and then Libby picked out like the most perfect song today and then totally messed me up. So we're going to try to pull it back together, take a deep breath. So um, normally what we do when we read the scripture at Imago is we take some time and talk about it and we hear like what was your response to it, how did you react, what questions you have. Um, we are going to do that a little bit um, later, but what I hope is when you heard those passages, I hope there were some things that really resonated with you and some things that made you think, ugh, I'm not sure about that, um, because that's going to be part of what I talk about in a little bit. So I had those same responses is what I'm saying. So just kind of remember those things and we'll come back to them in a little bit. So we are talking about spiritual practices this week, and um, if you've been to Mago very much, you've heard about them before. Probably you've heard me talk about them before, so I'm sure when you saw the sermon for this week, you thought, oh, good, Brian's talking about spiritual practices again. Can't wait for that. Um, and that's the thing, when I was working on this message, one of the things that really came up to me a lot is just, who cares about spiritual practices? Why would we even bother to talk about them? What's the big deal? And so I was wrestling with this message the last couple weeks as I've been preparing and researching and doing all those things, and it, was just, it just felt a little bit off. I was kind of struggling with it. And then um, Laura and Vicky sent me the same quote from, separately, without telling me, um, the same quote about spiritual practices. 
And when two of the wisest people that you know send you the same thing at the same time, you listen to that. You pay attention to that. So it actually helped. It kind of shifted my thoughts around with this topic. And so one of the things they did was it really helped me focus on the why part. So we're going to start with that. Why um, even look at spiritual practices? Why even talk about them? So I've got four things I want to talk about today, four reasons why we talk about spiritual practices. So first, one thing that spiritual practices do for us, is they shake us out of the rut of our ordinary day-to-day life, and they help us connect with God. Now, the quote that they sent to me, um, the first part of it, is from a book called The Wisdom of the Enneagram by John Richard Riso, and this is one of the lines that really stood out in that quote. He said that spiritual practice interferes with our deeply ingrained habits and gives us opportunities to wake up from our trance more often and for longer periods of time. Now, we are creatures who are formed by habits. We do that. Our brain can only take in so much information, and so one of our survival mechanisms is we develop these automatic responses. So that's why in the morning, you don't have to think about how to brush your teeth. You don't have to think about getting dressed. You don't have to think about how to drive your car or use your phone. Your brain does those things automatically, and that's a good thing. It's the way that we're designed. But also, we can develop those patterns for ourselves that numb us. We can do things automatically, so we don't have to actually think about what's going on. Um, We're good at that, aren't we? Like, oh, I'm so good at this. We add our own habits on top of that. We binge our favorite TV shows. We have our favorite drinks and foods that make us feel better. We can fill our time with exercise or social activities, a million things, even house projects, whatever it is that keeps us busy so that we're never having to stop and deal with the stuff that we don't want to deal with. Spiritual practices break that apart for us. It's a time that you set aside and say, okay, I'm going to not do those hundred things that I could automatically do. I'm going to do this thing that might feel a little bit uncomfortable. It might feel a little weird, but it's going to be time that's set aside just to spend with God, whatever that looks like. And we're going to talk about there's a million ways that that could look. It just breaks up that routine that we can fall into so easily, and it stops us from just numbly doing things on autopilot. The truth is, even though we sometimes do need to escape our problems, we need to just watch a Netflix show. We need to just do something to give our brains a break we also really need to sit with those hard things. And more importantly, we need to sit with those hard things with God in the picture. We need to let the Spirit work in those hard situations. And again, spiritual practices give us a little pocket of time, a little space where we can do that. Um, Second, spiritual practices can give us a healthy response when things are painful and difficult. Just like we have those habits that we do automatically, that you do over and over again, can become an automatic response when things are really hard. Sometimes when things fall apart, we need to do something that doesn't require a clear head or really smart thinking or even any willpower. We need something we can fall into automatically that is good for us, that points us back to God instead of away from God. So a really good example of this is that classic television show, the Netflix show Cheer. You may have seen it. I've seen both seasons. Feel free to judge. (laughs) The whole point of that show is there's some cheerleading squad who is spending all year working for one competition. They have a minute or a routine that's only like three minutes long. It's super short, but they do that over and over and over and over again so that when the time comes and the competition is there, they're not thinking about anything else. They're not having to get their courage screwed up to do this job. They don't have to make decisions about what do I do next. They are just responding. They develop this muscle memory so they can do these ridiculous flips and throws and jumps and do this kind of creepy smile the whole time. (laughs) Because they've worked so hard to get that point, when the critical time comes, they know what to do. Spiritual practices can be that for us as well. Um, There are times when we just don't know what to do. We don't have any words to pray. We don't know what to do next. And spiritual practices can help us move forward in that. Um, 
So one example, in the book Prayer in the Night, um, Tish Harrison Warren talks about when she was going um, hiking with her husband on Mount Washington in New Hampshire. Now, it's an area where the weather can change very quickly, and you can go up the hill, and then suddenly fog rolls in, and you can't find your way back down. It can be very dangerous. So over the years, um, hikers who have been on that same road have built cairns along the side, stone pillars that just show you how to find your way back down the mountain if that happens. She talks about when she was climbing that mountain and then finding their way back, following those cairns, she realized that those kind of practices in her spiritual life are like that. They are things that give her a way to find her way back home. This is what she um, said about it. In times of deep darkness, the cairns that have kept me in the way of Jesus were the prayers and practices of the church. When I could not pray, the church said, hear our prayers. When I could not believe, the church said, come to the table and be fed. When I could not worship, the church sang over me the language of faith. Inherited ways of prayer and worship, liturgical practices, are a way that the ancient church built cairns for us to help us endure this mystery, to keep us on this path of faith to guide us home. I think we all need that at times, right? When things just get so dark, we just don't know what to do. Spiritual practices can give us the next step. Um, the third thing is that spiritual practices can push us toward growth and being a force of love in the world. Now, I don't mean this happens immediately, and I want to make sure we understand spiritual practices are not some like easy six-step practice that makes you a super Christian. Not at all. But because you do spiritual practices again and again, they build. Those small little insights, those times of being with God, they cannot help but change you over time. They move you, and the Spirit is going to be working in those times to kind of nudge you to make you more like Jesus. That quote that Laura and Vicky sent to me, um, the second part of it said, eventually we understand that every time we engage in our practice, we learn something new. And every time we neglect our practice, we miss an opportunity to allow our lives to be transformed. Now, that's not a shaming quote. So if you start a practice and you don't like it and you ditch it, totally fine. Or if you miss a day or a week or six months, it is okay. That's not what it's talking about. But the truth is, and we know this, when you do something again and again and again, it changes you. And especially if you're encountering God over and over and over again, in even tiny, small moments, even when you don't feel like it's happening, it changes us. And it pushes us towards something better. We shift inside. So um, Vanessa Zoltan is a co-host of a podcast that's called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Now, um, we'll talk a little bit more about that podcast a little bit later. Um, she comes from a family of Holocaust survivors. And that horrible event impacted her family for generations. They still bear the scars. Because of all that, she can't really pray from the Torah. She struggles with that. But she loves the novel Jane Eyre. And she found that in that novel, there were truths that changed her, that became kind of a spiritual practice for her. And she talks a lot about how there are lots of things that can be a spiritual practice. And for her, one of the things that she looks at is, does this practice make me better? Okay? Um, <laughs> Why did I think I could read this? I will do it. Um, and again, remembering her family's history, they came from great pain and sorrow. Um, so she said, anything that's complicated, anything that's generative, anything that gets you better at loving can be sacred. And to me, as long as it gets you to interrupt when your neighbor is being arrested by the SS. If it makes you 1% more likely to do that, it's doing the thing. I mean, and that's the thing with spiritual practices. They're not just for us. I mean, it does keep you calmer when you're nervous. It does mend your heart when it's broken. Those are good things. Those are wonderful things. But that's not all it does. That love that wells up in you pushes you out, out of yourself out into the community, out across those barriers that we see every day where people are pushed aside because of who they are. Spiritual practices should push us into those spaces. 
is what Jesus did. Every time you look, when society draws a line and says, oh, those are the other people, he ran across that line. And spiritual practices help us do that, too. They move us in those spaces. The fourth reason is that spiritual practices allow us to spend time with a God who is head over heels in love with us. A God who wants to hang out with us. A God who, as Corey Brown often says, thinks we're awesome. It feels mushy and kind of ridiculous. And I sometimes struggle with that. I completely understand that God loves all of you guys. You're adorable. I mean, who wouldn't love you? That makes total sense. It's harder to understand how God could love me. And I think we all feel that sometimes. So in this idea with spiritual practices and God's love, um, as I was studying about this, one of the things as a spiritual practice is coming back to Scripture again and again. And it can be a passage you've heard a hundred times, and sometimes you come back to it and you see something new. And that's what happened with me when I was working on this message. So we're going to take a little spiritual detour for a while. So buckle up. Here we go. So I was looking in the Bible for things that were examples of a spiritual practice. I knew that Jesus would go alone to pray sometimes, and that was great. But I wanted to see if there were other examples. It was kind of hard to find. But in Deuteronomy, the passage that we read today, I found some things that really resonated with me as an actual spiritual practice. So I wanted to learn more about it. So we, on the passage that Corey read, they talked about putting scripture up on the doorframe of your house. So that's a Jewish custom, and so I went and tried to learn more about it to kind of see how it worked. They're called mezuzahs. They're boxes that contain a scripture passage that goes on the doorframe of a home. And so um, I went, and Jewish scholar Joanne Abraham has written a lot about this, so I learned from her. So there were lots of rules about how you did these to make sure that they were done properly. So they had to be placed on the upper third of the right-hand side of the door. They couldn't be um, any less than a hand's breadth from the top. They were originally placed horizontally. And then, um, just to show how these weird customs go, things that we kind of lump our own ideas into what we said was sacred and make the whole thing sacred. So in the 12th century in France, there was a big debate between rabbis about whether they should be horizontal, like they were originally, because you would just stick them between the bricks of the house, or if they should be vertical and point to God. So again, a lot of discussion about this you know, super vital, important issue. But there were two rabbis that were actually grandfather and grandson. They were opposite sides. The grandson thought it should be traditional. The grandfather um, thought it should be pointing to God. They ended up compromising and angling them at a diagonal. And that's what they did. They brought peace to that. And then that's the way they've been done ever since. Again, a beautiful mix of here's things we said were sacred. Here's kind of what we're going to do. And now we're going to make the whole thing sacred. But again, so many rules about how this goes. So there, there's a parchment inside that had the words of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. Those are the words that had to be written on it. It had to be handwritten on a parchment from an animal that was ritually clean. On the back of it, they wrote the word Shaddai on it, and they would roll it up and put it inside. And the word Shaddai had to show through the box. And there's a little window so you can see that word. Now, for me, um, El Shaddai, we've all heard that word before. It's the name of God. Um, and it's a very popular Amy Grant song. If you're of a certain age, you may know that as well. When I was reading about this, and again, coming back to the Bible again and again, I'm amazed at what I find. So I kept finding different scholars who talked about El Shaddai and how you could translate it. And that one of the translations that many scholars look at now is God of my breasts or God of many breasts. The word shad is actually often translated as breasts. And then AI at the end can mean it's, you're, it's a, um, possessive and plural. I didn't know what to do with that, except I'm a junior high boy. So I laughed quite a long time and texted all my friends, did you ever hear this? And I also texted all my friends who have been to seminary, like, have you ever heard this? Which, of course, they all said no, which makes me think, hmm, <laughs> okay. So I'm going to tell you, I am not a Hebrew scholar. 
And so do not take my word for it, but please investigate it yourself because I thought it was awesome. But here's what I love about that, actually. That view of God is one of nurturing, loving, supporting, giving everything his people needed or her people needed, right? Supplying everything they needed. And when you look at where El Shaddai is used, the first several times are all in places where God is promising fertility, many children, blessings upon her people. I love that idea. The other way it's often translated, um, there's also a verb, shadad, which means to destroy violently. That's where they often take the meaning of this, and then they clean it up and say, God Almighty. I don't like that version as much, <laughs> to be honest. I really much prefer lots of breasts from God, but both of those exist. Again, what does that have to do with spiritual practices? Not very much, except that coming back to this passage again and again is what brought this out to me. I wouldn't have seen this if I just read it through it the first time. Coming back in that repetition, it helped. Anyway, there's all these rules, right, about how do you do this? How do you make it the right way? And again, in this whole passage, so many promises of if you do this right, I'll bless you. If you do this right, I'll give you all these countries. It, I have a hard time with those passages. They don't sit right with me. And I wrestle with them, and I still do. I didn't come to a big, um, beautiful solution reading this passage. But in the middle of all this, God talks about love first. And that's why I picked the passages that we read today. Loving the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. That was the first commandment. Everything else had to fall underneath that idea. God kept love first, even in all those rules that I struggle with. And then Jesus echoes that same idea later on. In Mark, like we heard Corey read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And the second command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Just like Jesus always does. He takes love and he slaps even more love on top of it. He expands that original idea to include even more people, even more love. I thought that was beautiful. Also, in this whole section of Deuteronomy, I was reading all the chapters around that part. And again, there's a lot of hard things, a lot of difficult passages. Um, I was really struck with how many times God tells us to remember her in this section. It comes up again and again. Remember, don't forget. Remember, don't forget. I've read that a hundred times before. It struck me completely different this time. It reminded me... of the way that we want the people in our life to remember us, right? Our friends, our parents, our children, our partners, we want people to remember us because we love them. So many of us have lost important people in this last year. So much pain. And when you talk to those people that have lost, they remember. That's a way that their love endures. They remember those things. And so when I looked at this passage this time, it felt more like God in tenderness wanting us to remember her, to show love. That was beautiful too. And again, you're thinking, okay, spiritual practices, did you get totally off track? Spiritual practices can feel like stuff you do. It can feel like a process, like rules you have to follow to earn points with God. It's not. Spiritual practices are all about love. This section shows that. What God cares about most is love. And the love that God shows for us and then we show back can be experienced beautifully in the form of um, spiritual practices. That's one of the best reasons to do them. So that's the why part, all the things that go with that. Now, spiritual practices are probably not what you think if you've heard about them much at all. They're not something that just top-level, super spiritual people do. 
they're not something that's limited to a certain list. Like here are the approved spiritual practices. These things are good. Anything else is a little iffy. They're not some way to earn points with God and show how spiritual you are or impress your friends. Or if your friends are impressed, I'm a little worried about your friend group. But, you know, whatever you got to do. They're also not a surefire process that leads to these giddy heights of spiritual bliss where you've got amazing skin and you're glowing a little bit. If it does, also, good for you. <laughs> That's not the point of what we're doing. So what are they? Now, here at Margo, we talk about them a lot, and we have focused a lot on more traditional spiritual practices, things that have been around for hundreds, thousands of years. Um, but they can be more than that. And I'm going to actually focus today on some of the things that are not traditional that can be a spiritual practice. So my thinking about this changed a lot when I read the book that I referenced earlier, The Power of Ritual, by Casper, Van, uh, Casper Turkile. Um, his research at the Harvard Divinity School looked at how people practice spirituality outside of the church. So Casper and his colleague, Andy Thurston, found that people were creating rituals that had nothing to do with Lectio Divina or prayer beads or walking a labyrinth or any things that we've learned about. But these practices were having a significant impact on their lives. So at Imago, one of our directives is the idea that everything is spiritual. And so Casper talks about this idea in his book. So he says, in everyday language, we think of sacred as an adjective, as a synonym for holy or blessed. It describes something static and maybe a little dusty outside of our day-to-day -day experience. But it's much better understood as a verb, something that we do. The word sacred itself comes from the Latin sacrare, which means to consecrate or dedicate. And to consecrate means to declare or make something holy. So the sacredness is in the doing. And that makes us have enormous agency to make sacred happen ourselves. Now, if this seems far-fetched, it's because we live under the lasting influence of the great French sociologist, Emile Durkheim. I know, you're all thinking the same thing. Me too. Who made the distinction between the sacred and the profane. The name may or may not ring a bell, but the collective belief will sound very familiar. There are some things that count as religious and others are secular. But let me ask you, is that reflective of your own experience? I know that some of the most tender, intimate, and perhaps even holy moments in my life had nothing to do with formal religion. When I first held my niece in my arms, when I walked through the forest at age 11, when I woke up from major surgery, and then he says, mind you, it could have been the morphine. <laughs> Our lived experience is a testament to the fact that transcendence and the deepest meaning we experience come from the most secular moments, just in that they have nothing to do with formal religion. So when we talk about spiritual practices, here's what we're talking about. It's an activity that points us to God, and has three components. Intention, attention, and repetition. So intention just means we enter this activity, whatever it is, with the goal of spending time with God, period. That's the only goal. Attention means we're going to do our best during that time. And it's not easy, and we're going to blow it a lot. I blow this all the time. We go into that with the idea that we're going to pay attention to what God is doing. In us, around us, we're going to pay attention to the environment that we're in. We're going to live in this moment, not rush ahead to the next hundred things we have to do. And then the repetition, repetition part just means that we're going to do this practice regularly, whatever that looks, hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, whatever it works for you. It's something that you will come back to enough that it, that impact can grow in you. It won't just be a one-time thing and then you move on. When these spiritual practices are woven into our regular life, they remind us to pay attention to God, to listen to her, to watch what she's doing. So I'm going to give you three examples of spiritual practices that may not seem like spiritual practices. The first one is making your bed. So again, I talk about Tish Harrison Warren a lot because she's my hero. But she also wrote a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And if you've read it, you know that she does a really great job of talking about ways that you can find God in the ordinary moments of your life all the way through your day. So one of the things that she talks about is making her bed. 
So she noticed that when she woke up in the morning, the first thing she did was grab her phone, she checked her emails, she scrolled through social media, she checked the news, she was immediately bombarded with all the things that were happening in the world. And that was stressing her out. So one year for Lent, she decided she's going to change that, and she was just going to get up, ignore her phone, make her bed, and sit on her bed for five minutes in quiet, and that was going to be it. It wasn't anything earth-shattering, nothing huge. She didn't have to move to a mountain in Tibet, something small. But here's what she wrote about what the experience was. She said, my new Lenten routine didn't make me wildly successful or cheerfully buoyant, as some had promised, but I began to notice very subtly that my day was imprinted differently. The first activity of my day, the first move I made, was not that of a consumer, but of a co-laborer with God. Instead of going to a device for a morning fix of instant infotainment, I touched the tangible softness of our well-worn covers, I tugged against wrinkled cotton, I felt the hardwood beneath my bare feet. In the creation story, God entered chaos and made order and beauty. In making my bed, I reflected that creative act in the tiniest, most ordinary way. In my small chaos, I made small order. Again, she's showing those three things. Intention, she chose to not look at her phone and just sit in that space. Attention, she noticed the small details, where she was, what God was doing. And repetition, she did it every day. And that's with a whole bunch of grace, because you know there are going to be days when your kids break through the door and you oversleep and it just doesn't happen. Totally fine. But she had that pattern set up that she could start her day that way. Another um, kind of spiritual practice that maybe sounds kind of different is meeting with a friend. So I accidentally fell into a spiritual practice with my friend Steve. I don't even remember how it started. We've been doing it for years now. But we have breakfast at Childers every Saturday morning. So Diane is always our waitress. If you've ever been to Childers, she's amazing. Before I even step foot in the door, she has a little pitcher of, co- or of milk next to my coffee because she knows that I really drink sugar and milk with a little bit of coffee sprinkled on top. I've had every breakfast item at Childers. Steve has the skillet every single week. We go and we sit and we talk. It was never meant to be a spiritual thing. We didn't meet as like an accountability group or a Bible study. It was just hanging out. In this case, though, the repetition led to the intention and the attention. Because we were there every week and we had that commitment to each other, it got real. We were honest with each other. We asked really hard questions. We admitted really embarrassing things about ourselves and got a lot of grace back. And some jokes, but a lot of grace. We had that space where it was safe to be ourselves. And over the time, over that process, we started to notice what God was doing in each other's lives as we talked. We could point that out to each other. We could pay attention. It became this space that was a spiritual practice, and it still is. This kind of thing can happen anywhere with anyone in any activity. It could be just getting coffee someplace. It could be going on a hike, making supper together, climbing a rock wall, if you're a little crazy. Anything. So many possibilities. It just needs space where you and that person have time to sit and be honest with each other and notice what God is doing in each other's lives, letting the Spirit work in that space. The last one is um, engaging with a sacred text, but it's a little bit different um, because the Bible, obviously, is a beautiful spiritual um, text. It's something that's really important to me, but it's not the only place that I see God. So again, Casper Kyle writes about how we can find sacred truths in lots of different texts. His whole podcast, um, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, was all about that. Um, he did that podcast with Vanessa Zoltan that I talked about earlier, and even though like me, they have a lot of concerns about J.K. Rowling and some of the things that she's saying these days. Um, when they were looking at those texts, they found a lot of beauty in them. So they would spend each week just asking four questions about the part that they had read. What's literally happening in the narrative? What allegorical images or stories or songs show up for you? 
What experiences in your own life come to mind when you read this text? And what action are you being called to take? Now, they actually based that on a version of Lectio Divina that we talked about before that was used on sacred texts, but they used it with Harry Potter. And they were amazed at the truth that came out of those discussions. Now, I've heard this phrase for a long time, all truth is God's truth. It's been attributed to lots of people going as far back as St. Augustine. And I know this idea makes people nervous sometimes. It's harder to think, look for God's truth everywhere than it is just to say God's truth can only be found in the Bible and nowhere else. But if you step outside of that idea and look for God other places, it's amazing what you'll find. Now, it takes more work. You have to think. You have to discern. You have to look carefully. You have to hold up these ideas against the life of Christ and see, does this really work? Does this match? Does this make sense? You can't just go and accept everything that comes along. We all know that there are lots of texts that have been written and are widely out there in the world that are at best incorrect and at worst toxic and harmful. So you can't just say everything is fine. But we don't do this by ourselves. We have our Christian brothers and sisters. We have the Holy Spirit that is working with us all the time. And I really do believe that if you go into a text with the intention of finding God's truth in there, the Holy Spirit is going to walk right there with you, and they're going to help you find God's truth where it shows up. I have found God's truth so many places, in novels, in movies, TV shows, in poetry, in comic books, in essays, lots of places. And I love when God shows up in those spots. I think God loves also when I notice him in those spots. Now, as you're doing spiritual practices, there are some things you want to be careful of. A couple things to avoid. One is we've got to work to not confuse the practice with God. The thing that you do can be great. It's not what actually does the good work. God is the one that does the good work. So you may love getting up early and spending time with your Bible every day. You may love going to a coffee shop and spending some quiet time there. And that's, those are all wonderful things. It's not the coffee shop and this is a little scary, but it's not even the Bible exactly that does that. It's God working through those things. So just don't confuse those two. Don't think that the practice is what's magic. It's not some big, easy step to move you forward. It's God working in all those things. We have an example from the um, Bible about this too. The passage we talked about, they talked about tying the scripture onto your hands and onto your foreheads. Those are called um, phylacteries. They're boxes that they used to write scriptures on and put them in there. Again, Spiritual practice reminds you of God all the way through the day. It's right there on your wrist. It's on your forehead. It's great. Um, and like we all do, the Jewish people took that idea and ran with it and went a little too far. I mean, what happened is they started to make those boxes bigger and bigger and more noticeable so everyone could see how many scriptures you had on your wrist and you had on your forehead. Insert your favorite size joke here. Jesus talked about this too. In Matthew 23, 4 and 5, he's talking about how the Pharisees are turning the focus back on themselves. He said... They make strict rules and try to force people to obey them, but they are unwilling to help those who struggle under the weight of their rules. They do good things so other people will see them. They enlarge little boxes holding scriptures that they wear, and they make their special prayer clause very long. They focus on the practice, not the reason why. The other thing to really watch and be careful of is don't beat yourself up because you're doing it wrong. We've said this a hundred times up here. It's impossible to do these wrong. You can't mess it up. You have to be gracious to yourself when you try a spiritual practice. It won't always feel great. It won't be perfect. And that's okay. Again, Casper talks about this idea as well. He says, what works for you might be ridiculed or seem insignificant to others, but take heart. Have conviction in your practice. No matter what others or your insecurity may tell you, 
There will be days when your practice feels empty or pointless. Vanessa explains that in these moments, we have to trust our former selves, who in times of clarity and conviction decided that this practice was the right thing to do. We have to have faith in the practice itself, even when we feel lost or like it isn't working. Again, we have that helper. The Spirit is with us when we try these practices. And that's the whole job of the Spirit, is to pull us back to God. It's what they want to do all the time. That's what God wants all the time, to spend time with us, for us to come close. When you've got all those things rooting for you, it's going to be okay. You're not going to mess it up. So if you don't feel something one day, it is okay. Your only job is to show up and try it. And then show up and try it again. And then show up and try it again. Let that work move through you and don't feel like it's on you. It's not. You've got a lot of people on the outside, a lot of spirits on the outside rooting for you, moving you forward. And that's beautiful. So finally, I just want to encourage you to look for your own spiritual practices. Now, again, we've got a lot of great resources here at Imago. Vicki Brown knows a lot about spiritual practices. She's a wonderful person to talk to. I've read a lot about them, and I'm super enthusiastic, so I will babble at you for a long time until you awkwardly move toward the door. That's totally fine. But we're glad to you. Melinda knows a lot about them. We have a lot of people here who would love to talk to you about them. Um, don't be afraid to try something that's not a traditional spiritual practice. Try something different. Let God work in a new place and see how that goes. But find your own spiritual practice. Find those spaces that can help hold you together when things are falling apart, that help push you back to God when you don't know how to take the next step. So we just end with this um, blessing. May our encounters with the divine on a freshly made bed or a breakfast with a friend or in the words of a novel or in a million other places draw us closer to God and move us into the world as a powerful force of God's love. <laughs>